understanding that weird book of Revelation. Tonight, we'll, uh, this will take about three Sunday nights. And I want to look at the subject of will there be a secret rapture of the church before the second coming of Christ? And we'll launch it from a text in Revelation that we actually looked at a little bit last week. And then I want to pull in some other texts from the New Testament. And I'll explain why. But this particular subject will probably take two or three Sunday nights. Revelation 10, 5 to 7. We read these verses last week. Do you have them in your notes? Yes? Can you see them clearly enough to read them? Let's read them out loud together, okay? Just for the, just for the sheer fun of it. Verse 5 of Revelation 10. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets. This is our second week, actually, in Revelation 10. We kind of covered the sweep of it, an overview last week, but I want to go back and retrace our steps and just look at that phrase in the middle of verse 7, but that in the days of the trumpet call, not, not just the trumpet, so the seven trumpets, but the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. So in the days, plural, the sounding of the seventh trumpet is not just one instantaneous act, but it unfolds another series of events. Remember, uh, I said one of the key things in understanding the book of Revelation, you have the seven seals, and the, the seventh seal brings you right up to the second coming. In the seventh seal, you have the seven trumpets, and the seven trumpets bring you right up to the second coming. And in the seventh trumpet, which is in the seventh seal, you have the wrath of God poured out very, very quickly. The, the seven bulls, unlike the seven seals and the seven trumpets, are actually called the bulls of the wrath of God. The seals cover the whole, the whole, the whole church age, from Christ to the end of the age. The bulls are poured out suddenly, dramatically. So the events of the, of the seventh seal the seventh trumpet, and then the seven bowls poured out very, very quickly. Events pile up. Rather than coming in sequence, they stack up in speed and in intensity, each one leading right up to the second coming of, of our Lord. It's very interesting, by the way, when you, when you link up some of these things together. I, I'm, you know, you're probably doing the same thing. I'm reading through the Bible on a Bible reading plan, and you get into Daniel, oh, I shouldn't have done this, Daniel uh, 12, and this angel 
speaks to Daniel. And, and at the end of all these prophetic visions, you get uh, 12, 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book until the time of the end. Isn't it interesting? Seal the book and then you get into the book of Revelation. And who's worthy to unseal this book, this scroll? So the seventh seal contains the seven trumpets. The seven, seventh trumpet contains the seven bowls of God's wrath. And that's why in John's vision, in Revelation 10, he writes of the days, plural, of the voice of the seventh angel when he was about to sound. So this, this uh, final sounding of the seventh trumpet is going to initiate the outpouring of God's wrath in the seven bowls. God's wrath will be poured out explosively. The whole tribulation is not the wrath of God. Satan, Antichrist, government forces, uh, political forces, um, all of this conspires against, against the cause of Christ. The wrath of God is, is very cataclysmic and sudden right at the very end of the tribulation. That's why, if you think back a little bit, God's people were sealed. We studied this in Revelation 9, 3 and 4. Sealed from the effects of God's wrath as the tribulation starts to unfold. Let me just read it to you. Revelation 9, 3 and 4. And then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. They aren't just locusts. I took the time to explain that. And they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. And they were, they were told... Not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or tree, which of course is what locusts would do. But only those people who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. So you get to the very close of the tribulation. The wrath of God is poured out very specifically in these seven bowls. They're called the bowls of the wrath of God. Revelation 16.1 Then I heard a loud voice from the temple... Telling the seven angels, go, pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So in a way that the seven seals aren't described that way, the seven trumpets aren't described that way, but the bowls at the very end are described that way. All right. That's all stuff we've talked about. Back to Revelation 10 just for a sec. I want to work with that phrase in Revelation 10, 7 where it says, in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel. I want to I take this one study to try and pull together the threads of the events of these days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel. I want to do it from other relevant New Testament prophetic texts. So, so I want to use... This phrase, this teaching in Revelation to tie in our study in Revelation with, with what I think Jesus taught about these days, what the Apostle Paul next week taught about these days, the days of the voice of the seventh angel. Here's what I think you'll see. I think it's pretty significant that both Jesus and Paul somehow, somehow, see this idea of the, the sounding of a trumpet. They don't talk about seven trumpets, but this idea of sounding of a trumpet. 
it seems so significant when they started thinking about and talking about the second coming. So, so you'd see things like this. We'll look at these verses in more detail and just showing you what I mean. Matthew 24, 31, Jesus in the Olivet Discourse. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. Interesting. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 52. We get these usually at funerals, we read these. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. and We shall be changed. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. What, 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 what are we going to hear? Will, will you hear like an actual trumpet? I mean, I don't, I don't know. What I do think is significant is the way Revelation has this theme of cataclysmic events happening at the sounding of this seventh trumpet. And then Jesus talks about a trumpet. And then Paul twice talks about a trumpet and the sounding of a trumpet. I think whenever you're working with tricky subjects like this, and, and they're, they are tricky subjects, but it isn't just an idea to have one verse and try and make it say what you want it to say. I think the important thing is to make sure the way you're looking at a text, like the one we're looking at in Revelation 10, is to make sure it fits in, or at the very least, doesn't contradict what you see taught using the same words and phrases in other parts of the scripture. I'm going to read a lot of scripture, and I'm going to just kind of work through fairly fast, um, so hang in there. Point number one. John's seventh trumpet and the prophetic teaching of Jesus and Paul. We'll look mostly at the words of Jesus. So I'm going to start looking at Matthew 24. I'm going to read some scripture comment, read some more scripture comment, read some more scripture comment. Matthew 24, 1 to 3 uh, is, a, is a complicated introduction to what we call the Olivet Discourse. It gets the name from Jesus on the Mount of Olives, talking about his coming. Okay? So it's called the Olivet Discourse. It's in Matthew 24, uh, it's in Mark 13, it's in Luke 21. <clears throat> Here's what brings it all about. 24, 1 to 3. Jesus left the temple, was going away, when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. So they're obviously impressed because they, Jesus is walking and get a picture of the disciples. They're scattered about and they run up and they get his attention. Look. Look at the temple. And it was a wonderful structure. To point out the buildings of the temple. Verse 2, Jesus. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. On another occasion, this got Jesus into trouble saying this. When he was talking about his body. 
but he's not talking about his body here. He says, do you see that building, he says. There won't be one stone on top of the other. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, hence Olivet Discourse, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us when these things will be. What things? Well, when? When will there not be one stone left on top of the other, for starters? When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? Now, you need to listen to their questions. I mean, the disciples actually ask at least two, some say three, I think two questions rather than just one. Jesus has just told them their temple was going to be completely destroyed, in verse 3. So the first question they ask Jesus is, when are these things going to happen? When will all this that we're looking at right now be destroyed? Then they ask Jesus about his coming and the end of the age. Now, Hear me. I have a feeling, because the disciples were still frequently confused about the kind of messianic kingdom Jesus was going to usher in, because they never, they never seemed to get it when he started talking about his death, his crucifixion. So, so they, they still have these jumbled thoughts. They thought the Messiah would come and deliver Israel from her political and her military enemies right away, right here on earth. And so I'm not surprised that Jesus' disciples probably thought that the destruction of this temple and the end of the age were like one issue. They might have thought that. Surely these things would happen either at the same time or in very logical succession. And there are a lot of scholars who think the best approach to interpreting these Olivet Discourse passages, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, a lot of scholars who think the best way to interpret them is to interpret them according to the Jewish expectations of that time. So when they read, guys like N.T. Wright and others, when they read these passages, what they see is Rome smashing the temple in 70 A.D., and that's all Jesus was talking about. Okay, I think that's included in what Jesus was talking about. When will these things be? No stone left on top of the other. But I don't think that's all that's included here. I happen to think Jesus wasn't interpreting uh, these things according to Jewish expectations. I happen to think Jesus was correcting Jewish expectations, not accommodating it. Did I make that clear? Okay. There's clearly a mistake that Jesus is now laboring to clear from their minds. Let's pick up again. We did one to three. Look at four. And Jesus answered them. So when will these things be? And your coming? And the end of the age? Multiple questions. See that no one leads you astray, verse four. Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. You will hear wars, rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, 
for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Okay, the end is not yet. Those are the important words. The end is not going to come as quickly as they think. Probably not in 70 AD. This has been the case with church history. Every time there is trouble on earth, especially in the Middle East, war, earthquakes, persecution, people jump to their Bible prophecy bandwagons. And you've seen, I mean, go back years, and you can grant Jeffrey and Jack Van Imp. Um, remember when the new millennium was coming and, and all the computers were going to crash and the economic system was going to crumble and then you had all those left behind novels where Jenkins made zillions of dollars selling those books to Christians. I'm not saying all those things are necessarily wicked in themselves. We're told in the scriptures that we're to kind of know the times and the seasons in which we live. But there's always been this tendency, every time something comes to start sensationalizing Bible prophecy. And so what we get here is the end is not yet. Don't, don't see the end of the world in every disturbing headline, especially out of the Middle East. Okay? Let's pick it up again. Matthew 24, verse 7. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of the birth pangs. Remember the seals, the seven seals in the course of the age? Nine. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Probably both a local fulfillment at that time and ongoing to this day. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. I'll talk about that another time, not, not tonight. Keep reading Matthew 24, 16. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So here's, here's something about Judea in that area. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. Let the one who is in the field not go back to get his cloak. Alas, for women who are pregnant, those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. And then these words, for then there will be, is the then right at that moment or is the then later on? We're not sure. For then there will be great tribulation, such as, and here are, some important words, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. We should notice words like that. Great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world. What, what, what about when God wiped out the whole earth's population in a flood, except Noah and his family? That was greater suffering than the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. 
Then will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Nothing's ever going to be like this. So, so it's a pretty firm clue, I think, as to the interpretation of the passage. We know this can't be at least not just describing A.D. 70 Jerusalem. Because Jesus is describing tribulation greater than anything that has happened or will happen on the whole earth. And, and then he says that those days would be shortened or no flesh would be saved. That's in the very next verse, 22. And if those days had not been cut short, no human, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. You still with me? So clearly that's, however you interpret it, there's something different in that tribulation that Jesus is talking about. Let's keep reading, 22. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do, do not believe it. Now he's going back to this theme. There's going to be this passing of time. For false Christs, false prophets will arise, perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Second Thessalonians 2, Paul says that these false prophets will work miracles and the elect will be deceived. Paul says. The church is going to fall for it. We need to read those words sometime. Jesus speaks again, 25. See, I've told you beforehand so that if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. If they say, look, he's, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as, for as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west. There you go. Now you have another big statement. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. It's going to be just like that. So, so here Jesus tells us that his coming is going to be, uh, if anything, these words surely mean it's going to be visible, right? It's going to be dramatic. It will be as subtle as the loudest, brightest boom of lightning that the universe has ever seen that just flashes across the whole sky. Nobody's going to miss it. The whole world will have its attention riveted on him as he comes to reign and to judge. Now, will there be a secret rapture of the church before the great tribulation? We've read right through, haven't left any verses out, we're just going to pick it up. Jesus tells us as clearly as he ever does when this great event is going to take place. Pick it up at 28. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. <laughs> Just thought, oh, never mind. I had an MPH moment, um, my dad. And he used to, uh, after he was retired, he was bolder at saying things that he wouldn't say before. He, he would, he would, you'd have funerals. He would do funerals, and you'd see people come to church that you hadn't seen in church for years. And, and I thought of it when I saw that vultures. My dad would say, you know, some people like vultures. They only come to church when something's dead. 29. 
I don't know if that's scriptural, but it, it, it makes a point. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediate, now, immediately, say the next word with me. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, remember, remember I said, I think it's important when you're working with Bible prophecy, because it's always hard working with Bible prophecy. The reason it's hard is it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be hard. We're given general things, but we're not given enough so you can sit down and chart it and say, well, there it is. But you need to fit together what you can fit together. Just remember those words that we just read um, in 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, sun will be darkened, moon not give its light, stars fall from the heaven, powers of the heaven shaken. Just remember those words. And you shift your mind now back to where we started in Revelation 10. And remember, remember the key point I've been making. Each of the sevens, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, each of the sevens brings you right up to the second coming of Christ. So Jesus has just said in Matthew 24, 28, 29, that there would be these cosmic signs, lightning, signs in the moon, signs in the stars, just as he comes back. Now, here is the last seventh seal that brings you right up to the second coming. Listen to this description. Tell me if it sounds at all familiar. Revelation 6, when he opened the sixth seal... Remember, the seventh seal actually initiates the seven trumpets. So the sixth seal is the last seal to be opened in and of itself. So he opens this last seal. I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. Now, John's seeing this vision. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the rich, the powerful, everyone, slave, free, hid themselves in caves among rocks of the mountains, calling on the mountains, fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. Now, right now, who can stand? So what I'm saying is, both Jesus and John see these great cosmic events announcing the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now back to Matthew 24. Still with me? Okay. 30. What's going to happen right then when, when the, the, the stars fall and the, the sun is darkened, the powers of the heavens shaken? What's going to happen? Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Does that sound like that sounds like the Revelation passage? People hiding. And they will see the Son of Man coming on clouds of heaven with great power and glory. Look at, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. What's going to happen? And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Interesting. So these verses bring us right up to the verses in Revelation 10 that we opened with. 
So both Jesus and John, next week we'll see the Apostle Paul, I think, teaches the very same thing, speak of the sounding of a great trumpet when Jesus comes again. Remember John's gigantic angel in Revelation 10 with a foot in the sea and a foot on the land? He says he's going to reveal the events that accompany the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel. And they end up being exactly the same as the events Jesus has been describing in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. And here's the key point from my perspective for tonight's study. You come back to the question. I think, strip away all the movies, Thief in the Night, um, and everything you're ever going to see and hear but if you take the words of John and you take the words of Jesus and you tie them together as much as you possibly can, it, to me it becomes unmistakably clear that the only coming of Jesus and the only gathering of the saints, either one of them describes, it takes place immediately after the tribulation of those days. I don't see any other. So the terrible events of the outpouring of the seven bowls of God's wrath, we're going to get to those in future weeks. We're not halfway through the book of Revelation yet. They're going to be poured out very quickly. They'll be poured out as Jesus comes again, that quickly. That's why John's angel in Revelation 10 says these will take place the days of that last trumpet, while the trumpet is still sounding. God's people will either be at some point late in the tribulation. Anybody that tells you they know this for sure is wrong. Nobody knows this for sure. God's people will either be protected, which I happen to believe is the clearest teaching of Revelation. Marked, sealed, protected, protected as Noah was protected. He wasn't removed from the planet. He was protected while God judged the earth. And actually Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be, right? They'll either be protected or they'll be removed from the events of God's frightening wrath on those who reject Christ. And I think that when we look next week at 1 Thessalonians 4, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that you'll see, you'll see that uh, Paul teaches exactly the same thing. He teaches exactly the same thing. I like that song, the last song we sang. It's one of my favorites because there are so few choruses. Hymns too, I'm not picking on choruses. There are so few songs that talk cogently and intelligently and biblically about the second coming. So few. It's like it's not even on the radar of the church anymore. And I like it every time we sing that. We wait for you. We wait for you. Until he comes back, there's a world out there that needs the gospel. Amen? Let's pray.